Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm excited to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. We're going to be talking about companies that are involved in the neurodegeneration space. And the reason why I wanted to do this is that some companies saw a huge increase in their stock price after Cassava Sciences released their updated data on their Alzheimer's asset. And I thought it would be useful for us to look at other companies in the space to get a more broad brush on the landscape of neurodegenerative diseases and see whether or not some companies stand out as better or worse investments. So today we're going to talk about Cortexime, Anavex Life Sciences, Elector, Cyclerion, and then we're going to touch a little bit on Cassava Sciences. And before I get into the show, I did want to mention that I'm going to be doing an Ask Me Anything on the subreddit Biotech Plays. So check out that subreddit. There's actually a really nice community there of people who are interested in the biotech sector, and they've just reached 10,000 subscribers. So check that out and input your questions on uh, the spreadsheet that's over there, and I'll do my best to answer them. I think it starts at 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And with that, let's just get right into the show. And before I get into the actual companies involved in the space, I did want to talk about the potential total addressable market. And it's important that we start off with this, and I'm not going to belabor the slide too much because I did touch on it last time, but what we want to know is the potential revenue a company could garner if their asset went all the way through the clinical process and finally got approved and marketed so that patients could actually reach the drug. The best way for us to do this, in my opinion, is to look at a previously approved drug that looked at a similar indication. And one that's great for the Alzheimer's market is one called Aricept. The generic name is Denepazil. And this drug was a wild success. It treats the symptoms associated with Alzheimer's disease, but it doesn't actually change the course of uh, disease progression. And what we can do is look at the pricing for Aricept, multiply that by the total number of Alzheimer's disease patients in the USA, and then we come up with a total potential addressable market that a drug going through the pipeline right now could potentially garner if it was approved. And in this way, it gives us sort of a, a best case scenario if a company could get their drug successfully through the pipeline. And I did this math with Aricept from pricing based off of 2012, and we come up with $24 billion a year. And obviously that's a huge increase from what a lot of these companies are valued at today. And the reason for this is it's just particularly difficult to get these drugs all the way through the clinical process and then FDA approval. The other thing we can do is compare previous sales figures. So for Aricept in particular, the peak sales reached around $3.5 billion in 2009 and 2010. Now obviously this is a long way from $24 billion a year, but you have to keep in mind that previous sales figures are a snapshot from that time. And not to mention that a drug that potentially can change the course of the disease rather than just treat the symptoms could probably garner a significantly higher price tag than what Aricept did in, you know, 2009-2010. So I think for us, kind of an optimistic target for CNS companies, if they're able to get all the way through the approval process, could be somewhere in the range of 10 to 20 billion dollars. And that's a useful metric for us when we go to evaluate the risk reward of taking an investment in one of these companies. And my last point here is just to mention that we have to discount that potential price tag by quite a bit, given that CNS companies fail very, very often, even higher than your average company in the biotech sector. And with that, let's talk about our first company, which is Cortexime. 
and they traded on Friday the 19th at $32.50 a share, giving them a market cap of around $960 million. Their net loss in Q3 of 2020 was $22 million, and they have current assets of Q3 of 2020 of $143 million, with current liabilities at $16 million. And this company is targeting a bacterial brain infiltrate that occurs from the mouth. And this bacteria that's causing this is called P. gingivalis. And what it does apparently is it can go through the mouth into the brain and secrete this protein called gingipane protease. And this protease has been known to cause inflammation and then eventually correlate really highly with neurodegenerative disease. What the company is hoping to do is commercialize an asset that is able to inhibit this protease called lysine gingipane with their inhibitor atuzagenstat or core 388 and in this way they're hoping to change the course of Alzheimer's disease since the association with this bacteria and this protease correlate really high with mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. So their main asset is core 388 and they're looking at Alzheimer's disease, periodontal disease, as well as Parkinson's disease. They have a number of different assets, but because Core 388 is the furthest along, it's the one that I think contributes the most to the current market cap, so I'm gonna focus on that. And to give a bit of background on the asset, it's orally available, it penetrates the blood-brain barrier, which is very important for a CNS drug, and they have patent protection until the year 2037. Now where the company's at is they've finished phase 1B and they looked at older volunteers that were healthy and then older patients that had actual Alzheimer's disease. They did a number of different cohorts. Cohorts 1 to 3 are the older volunteers treated for 10 days and then cohort 4 are patients with actual Alzheimer's disease and they treated them for 28 days. Now keep in mind these are very small trials. Cohort 1 to 3 they only looked at 6 different patients whereas in the cohort four, they looked at an N of three for the placebo and six for the actual drug-treated group. So it's very difficult to get significance as well as a powered result when you do a trial this small. But if we wanna look at the data, and I'm blowing that up right now, two things that they looked at are biomarkers for RANTES as well as CSF APOE. So RANTES is a inflammatory chemokine and what they show here is that treatment with core 388 reduced that significantly compared to placebo. And they also showed that APOE, which correlates really highly with Alzheimer's disease, was also decreased significantly compared to placebo when patients were treated with core 388. Now, if you notice, the placebo group only has an N of 2, whereas the core 388 group only has an N of 4. And this is for the RANTES evaluation, whereas APOE, the placebo group was 2, and core 388 was six. So whenever I see kind of a difference in the N number, it seems like they're omitting certain values for some reason. And without a clear explanation why, it just makes me think that this data isn't super reliable and it was actually massaged to get this result. So the other thing is, I don't know how they did statistics on an N of just two for the placebo. I think you need three technically to get any kind of actual readout. So that makes me question that data as well. So now if we look at the cognition readouts that we saw, and they did three different tests at least. These are just the ones that they're showing us. They looked at the MMSE, Cantab Memory Composite of Cognitive Function, as well as Winterlight Assessment Prepositions and Conjunctions. So of these, I'm most familiar with the MMSE. 
I think you should be very familiar with the MMSE as well as another more in-depth cognitive test like the ADAS-COG. These ones are used very ubiquitously in different Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative disease trials. And the MMSE, the best score you can get, so you have no impairment, is 30. And then between 20 and 25, it's mild cognitive impairment. Moderate is 10 to 20, and then severe if it's under 10. And it's a very simple questionnaire that can be done pretty quickly. So if you'll first look at the N number for each group, we have a placebo of N equals 3, and then core 388 with an N of 6. So again, we're at a very small sample size, which makes it very difficult to get any significant data. And as you can see here with the MMSC, the placebo group has very high variability. The core 388 group also has very high variability, so there's not really any useful conclusion we can make with this. The company is probably arguing that the treatment group has a little bit of a better outcome, but really this data is just noise to me. I would say the same is also true for this Cantab memory composite of cognitive function. The variability is just way too high and the sample size is just way too small. Now with the winter light assessment, uh, it looks here that it's much more clear that there is a big improvement in the core 388 group. And I'm not super familiar with this test, but frankly, if this is the best data that they can show us, uh, you just have to think about all the other tests that they did that showed absolutely no improvement or no difference. So with core 388, they are very early, I would say. And I think it's going to be difficult for us to really say whether or not there is an actual effect here of the drug. And we're going to have to wait for more data to come out from that phase three. And lucky for us, they have top line data for this Alzheimer's trial from a pivotal phase two, three called the GAIN trial. And this is supposed to be released in Q4 of 2021. Now, all of these bullet points are of one of their recent press releases, but this could all be put in jeopardy since their molecule was put on a recent partial clinical hold by the FDA. When they announced when this data would be released, they mentioned that Core 388 had passed a futility analysis in December of 2020, and they're going to continue to a one-year endpoint. And so futility analyses are done when the company wants to know whether or not a study has a chance of actual success if they continue the study, because these are very long and they're very expensive. So if the company can save money and save face by just ending a study early, if it has no chance of success, they'll just go ahead and do that. So here, this is what happened in Q4 of 2020. They did a futility analysis and the data monitoring committee actually said that no sample size adjustment was required and that enrollment was gonna stay at 643 patients. The interim analysis was of 300 patients who had reached six months of treatment at two different doses. And then I'm quoting them here, but they say, as part of the interim analysis, the DMC looked for futility, overwhelming efficacy, and this means a p-value below 0.05 on both co-primary outcomes. They also looked to see if a sample size increase was needed to improve powering as well as safety. And all of this apparently was fine, so they recommended continuing the study until the end. The company's also going to be doing a top-line readout for their phase two substudy in periodontal disease because, you know, as we know, this is a problem of the mouth and periodontitis. So the company also said that they're going to be starting a Parkinson's disease trial in phase two called the PEAK trial, and they're supposed to be starting this in 2021. Now, all of this is put in jeopardy because we heard on February 15th that the FDA put a partial clinical hold on CORE 388. And what they say here is that they received a letter from the FDA stating that this partial clinical hold would be placed 
impacting the open label extension phase of the company's ongoing phase 2-3 study, the GAIN trial. Under the hold, no new participants would be enrolled in the open label extension study, and currently enrolled OLE patients will be discontinued. They say that participants in the fully enrolled, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized phase of the GAIN trial will continue to receive the study drug at their assigned dose, with top-line results from the double-blind GAIN trial in Q4 2021. So this really just affects the open-label extension study, and most of these trials have one of these open-label extension studies where patients that were on the drug in the trial can continue to take it so that the company can gain uh, greater insight into kind of the long-term effects of the drug. Now what the FDA says is that the clinical hold was initiated following review of the hepatic adverse events in the Atuzagenstat trial by the FDA. The company says that these events have been reversible and without any known long-term adverse events for the participants. Now, it does make you worry that perhaps the liver effects of the drug might not make this drug commercializable. And if we look at some of the older data we have here, and this is from the cohort four from this phase 1b study, we see here that there was only one patient that had a liver enzyme elevation out of six. So it didn't really come up as a safety signal in one of these early trials, but here it looks like it's coming up, and the FDA wants the open-label extension study to be stopped for that reason. So it's definitely something to be concerned about. I think I would still be comfortable taking a position before the readout in anticipation of potentially a really, really large effect, and maybe they show that hepatic adverse events were only short-term and could be reversed. The company dropped quite a bit on this news, and I think it just adds to the risk that Atuzagenstat isn't really going to be commercializable given this new safety information. With that, let's move to Anavex Life Sciences, ticker symbol AVXL, and they traded on Friday the 19th at $12.50 a share with a market cap of $871 million. Their Q4 2020 loss was $7.9 million, with a Q4 2020 current assets of $47.4 and Q3 current liabilities of $7 million. Now, I've talked about Anavex in the past, so check out my previous video on that. But the company is trying to commercialize a molecule called Blarcamazine for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, as well as Rett syndrome. And Blarcamazine is a sigma-1 slash muscarinic agonist. And I go into more detail on the mechanism of action in a prior episode, so check that out. But I'm going to focus here on the Alzheimer's disease data and the furthest along data, because that really is the best that we have to assess whether or not there's a chance of success in phase three. So the company has completed phase 2A in the treatment of Alzheimer's disease with blarcamazine. And in this small study, they compared a low dose to a high dose of blarcamazine in patients that had Alzheimer's disease. Now, just to put a caveat here, this was an open label study, meaning that the doctors and the patients knew which drug they were taking, and there's also no placebo. So thankfully, we do have uh, some kind of control group here, which is the low dose, but what would be much more ideal is actually having a placebo group. So unfortunately, we have to take these results with a grain of salt. Thankfully, what we saw is actually a pretty profound effect comparing the high dose to the low dose. In the MMSC, they saw a p-value of under 0.0008, showing a major improvement with the high dose concentration compared to the low dose. The same was also true for the evaluation of patients of the ADCS slash ADL. And I'm not going to go through the details of this, but basically this is suggesting that cognition was improved in patients that were taking blarcamazine. And this is true for most of the time points they looked at with an increasing effect the longer they went out. 
the study went through 148 weeks and at that point that was the most significant difference that they saw so like I mentioned this is very early data with a very small sample size but the company is relatively far along in their phase 2b3 trial and I'm showing the catalyst here that the top line data for Alzheimer's disease is going to be coming out in H1 of 2022 so that's going to be a huge catalyst for the company they're also looking at Rett syndrome in adults and pediatric patients they released the Rett syndrome data in adult patients earlier this year when I took a position and then sold and I'd be willing to take a position in the pediatric Rett syndrome pivotal data which is coming out in the second half of this year I think they have a much greater chance of success in pediatric patients than adults so I find that pretty interesting they are going to be working out the details for their Parkinson's disease trial and I'm waiting to see what kind of notes they're going to get from the FDA given the recent data that they saw from their prior trial and they're also looking at next steps for Rett syndrome it's getting a little dark in here so I'm just going to turn on a light let's just see okay we're looking good now alright so I now want to move on to Elector Inc and this company on Friday was trading at $17.70 a share giving them a market cap of 1.4 billion dollars their Q3 2020 net loss was $53 million, with Q3 2020 assets at $470 million and Q3 2020 liabilities at $71 million. And what this company is doing is they're combining immunology with genetics in order to target neurodegenerative diseases. So their main molecule is AL001, and they're looking to treat frontotemporal de dementia. And so they're starting with frontotemporal dementia, and I think they're actually doing a very smart strategy because they're using things like genetics in order to inform which indications to go after and really which patient populations to go after because if you go for a very broad indication the odds of success are a lot lower because you get patients with all sorts of different pathophysiology they're first starting with patients with frontotemporal dementia with specifically known mutations that reduce a molecule called progranulin and what they show is a lot of data suggesting that decreases in progranulin correlate very highly to mild cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's disease. So the company is first starting in a very narrow indication and then they're going to be adding on patients that have this C90RF72 mutation, then ALS patients, and then all frontotemporal dementia patients to add in eventually Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease patients. They're going to do this by targeting a cell surface receptor called SORT1 and this receptor is known to degrade progranulin so when they treat with this antibody it increases the serum and CSF progranulin concentration thus improving hopefully the outcomes that these patients are dealing with they have a couple of other assets AL002 which targets this molecule called TREM2 and then another molecule called AL003 which targets SIGLEC to enhance microglia so we're mostly going to focus on AL001, but I'm going to touch also on AL003. So with this company, like the others, they are also kind of early. They have phase 1b data, and what we're looking at here is biomarker data from a relatively small patient population. And what we see here is that frontotemporal dementia patients treated with AL001, their biomarkers move towards those of the healthy volunteers. And this was the case for SPP1, CHIT1, as well as another one called CTSB. And then they also saw that a biomarker called neurofilament moved in the proper direction, which was decreasing, as they got treatment with AL001. 
So this is nice to see. It's definitely early data, and what we really want to see is cognitive outcomes. A lot of compounds are able to show improvements in biomarkers, but not necessarily cognition, which is going to be the endpoint that they're eventually going to need to see when they do their phase three study. Now, what we do have from Elector is phase two data. Unfortunately, it's very early data, and they've only really shown us a couple of readouts. The one readout is the plasma progranulin levels, and what they show here is that treatment with AL001 increases progranulin to that of healthy volunteers. So that's very validating. It shows that, in fact, the drug works. The issue is, though, we don't really see much else. They show us some information on a biomarker of neurofilament, and that's what I'm showing here. And what they're trying to show us is that treatment with AL001 decreases neurofilament, which is what you would want to see. The issue is, though, in about half of the patients, patients 5, 6, 7, 8, they see either no change or the neurofilament goes in the wrong direction. So this isn't very encouraging to me. I would have liked to see all of the patients show an effect if, in fact, the drug worked to improve biomarkers. I want to take this with a grain of salt, given that it is kind of interim data. And they do mention that they're going to give us more data from their phase two study as an interim endpoint in this year. To touch briefly on AL003, this is a molecule that blocks Siglec3, which is an inhibitory receptor on microglia. They have a collaboration for this molecule with AbbVie, and so far we've only seen phase one data, which is what I'm showing here. In fact, treatment with AL001 is able to engage Siglec3 in monocytes. So it's very early data, at least validating that the drug has some sort of contact with Siglec3. When it comes to the catalyst coming up by Elector, we're supposed to be seeing an update on phase two data in 2021. But one issue that I see is that we might not see any cognition endpoints. And the reason for this is when I go to the NCT trial on the clinicaltrials.gov site, I see all the outcome measures and none of it has to do with cognition. The primary outcome is evaluation of safety and tolerability. And then in the secondary outcomes, we see PK, Cmax, and area under the curve, or AUC. So I'm worried here that if the first time we see any cognition endpoints is the phase three trial, we're really shooting blind and we have not much to go off of other than just the biomarker data, which you know is a lot less than we're gonna have with say Anavex and Cortexime. The other thing with AL001 is that they have already initiated their phase three trial. They started this in July of 2020, and according to the NCT site, their estimated primary completion date is October of 2023, but there is potential here for an interim readout. Now, we don't really know when that's going to be, but presumably they're going to fill this catalyst somewhere where there's kind of a lag. So I would expect maybe late 2021 or early 2022, they're going to give us some insight into how that phase three is going. With regards to AL003, they are in phase 1b and they're planning on releasing some data from healthy volunteers in this year. So I don't really like when companies are very broad when they say just the entire year is when they're going to release the data. But I think as we get through their earnings reports, they're probably going to give us a little more granularity on that. So let's get to Cyclerion. And Cyclerion traded on Friday the 19th at $4.40 a share, giving them a market cap of $148 million. Their Q3 2020 net loss was $19 million, with a Q3 2020 current assets at $70 million and Q3 2020 current liabilities at $16 million. And what Cyclerion is doing is they're commercializing a modulator of soluble guanolate cyclase. And the hope is that modulating this molecule will increase cyclic GMP. 
And for those who don't know, cyclic GMP is a very important molecule that's involved in a number of different effects on cells. One of the most notable ones is its effect on vasodilation. And so the company has tried to use different molecules to take advantage of this in order to try and get approvals and in different indications. Now, unfortunately for them is that they have failed in a number of indications. Their most recent one is sickle cell disease, and they gave that update in Q4 of last year when I originally took my position. So what the company has done is they've refocused on the one molecule that showed some, you know, good data, kind of mixed data, which was CY6463. And this is a blood-brain barrier permeable molecule, and they're looking in different kind of neurodegenerative diseases. The top one is MELAS, and then they're also looking at Alzheimer's disease with vascular pathology. And I'm going to show some of that early data that they announced to us in Q4 of last year. So what they told us is that treatment in healthy volunteers led to an improvement in alpha power as well as N200 latency. And to evaluate this is they did QEEG measurements on patients. And this stands for Quantitated Electroencephalography. And what this does is measures brain electrical activity. And so there's different uh, wavelengths at which the brain is able to signal, and this can be measured using this technique. So alpha power in particular is pr apparently important for things like passive wakefulness, attention and cognitive processing, and in general, alpha power declines with age and it's exacerbated in neurodegenerative diseases. So treatment for 15 days with this molecule led to an improvement in alpha power, and we can see this here, the p-value was 0 0.0197. And then if we compare the placebo versus the treatment group, treatment participants, 13 out of 18 of them exhibited increasing alpha power compared to just five out of 18 with the placebo. So not a massive effect here, but they are seeing some differences whereby the treatment group is seeing a greater effect than the placebo. To talk briefly about N200, how they evaluated this, it's a QEEG measurement, but this time the patient's actually wearing headphones and there are tones going off in the headphones and then they'll change the tone briefly and then measure the electrical output that occurs in the brain. What researchers have shown is that the latency of the N200 peak changes actually quite a bit in patients that have neurodegenerative disease. And so what Cyclerion has shown here is that they get an improvement in N200 latency in patients treated with CY6463. And it's particularly pronounced in older patients, suggesting that it is in fact an effect on patients that might have early signs of mild cognitive impairment. Now one thing I'll mention is that the differences we're looking at here are fractions of milliseconds. So, you know, to what extent is this actually a functional benefit that's going to lead to cognitive outcomes? I'm not sure, but it is a sign that there is potential activity going on with this molecule in these patients. So, like I mentioned, the company's looking at two specific indications in the brain. One is called MELAS, which is a complicated rare disease. It's not just one that affects the brain, it affects a number of different organ systems. But Cyclerion seems confident that their soluble guanylate cyclase modulator is going to have an effect here. Now, the top line readout for this phase two trial is coming in mid-2021. So I'm holding on to a small position in anticipation of good results for that. I think that the upside is significantly higher here than the downside. So I think it's worth it to kind of hold on to the stock. They're also looking at Alzheimer's disease with vascular pathology. And they're going to initiate a phase two trial in the middle of this year. So that's going to be the more impactful readout. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait quite a while before we see any data from that. So that's Cyclerion. 
And what I wanted to do before we wrap up is really compare these companies and how far they are in their trials. So if we look here at the market caps that I have outlined, I also have their net current cash as of around February 2021. Not all these companies have given updates for Q4, so this is my best estimate. And what we can calculate based off of this is the enterprise value. And what this is is really a value of the company itself and how much it would cost if you were to try and acquire one of these companies. And the equation is market cap minus cash plus debt or liabilities. And so I've done that here. And when we look at that, we can see that Cortexime, Anivex, and Elector are all trading around a similar enterprise value. And I think that's appropriate given they're all in a relatively similar spot in terms of clinical development. We have Cortexime and Anivex that are going to give phase 2B3 updates in kind of the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022. And then Elector is going to give updates in phase 2 of 2021, but their phase 3 has already started as of last year. So we might see an interim readout that could really provide some insight into whether or not the molecule has any hope. So I think for this reason, it's interesting for us to look at that because I would be willing to take a position in any of these companies in anticipation of that positive readout, given that the upside might be $10 billion and the downside is probably cash on hand. So keep in mind that some of these companies might have to raise money before they're actually going to get to that readout. So it's for that reason that I want to delay taking a position until about the time that I think the readout's going to come. So I would be waiting until most of this year before thinking about taking a position, but I'm going to keep my eye on the companies because I think they're all relatively interesting. Cyclerion has a much lower enterprise value, and justifiably so. Their only asset right now has not shown to be that effective in early trials. I think if they're able to show positive data in MELAS, we could see a really big upside, but obviously I'm more interested in the Alzheimer's disease trial. So for me though, I think it's still worth taking a small position given that the company's enterprise value is around $100 million right now. And so I also wanted to add Cassava Sciences here because I talked about this in my previous video. And just to give a sense, Cassava is looking at an enterprise value of around $1.9 billion. They're getting double the valuation of Cortexime, Anivex, and Elector, despite the fact that they've just finished their Phase 2B trial and they haven't even started their Phase 3. The other companies are already well into their Phase 3, so I think Cassava Sciences, for this reason, is getting a more generous valuation than it warrants. And obviously, the market forces are involved here, so perhaps the market thinks that Cassava's drug is particularly better than Elector, Cortexime, and Elector. That's totally possible, but in my opinion, I think that the current price for cassava is a little generous. So some final thoughts of the CNS space. Basically, I think that CNS companies are extremely higher risk than general biotech companies, but because of such a major therapeutic potential, I think it would be a disservice if we totally overlooked them. Now, I think if you're strategizing and how I do it, and again, this is not investment advice, I'm only doing this for entertainment, and I'm kind of outlaying how I like to think of it when I do an investment. But trying to minimize risk by sizing your position properly and choosing companies that have you know, confident preliminary data as well as catalysts that are upcoming is reducing your risk when it comes to getting burned. I think it's probably better to own a broader portfolio of companies and just own a smaller position size given that the chances of having many failures is really high but you might see one or two successes. And if you don't happen to own that one success, you could totally blow up your account in that way. So I could see myself taking positions in these companies if it was the right time and I had the right amount of capital to do so. 
So if I kind of go back here, it's really difficult for me, for anyone really, to say if any of these molecules are actually going to be a success, given that there's so many issues with the early data that we've seen. Most of these trials are extremely small in their sample size, or their open label, or we don't really see the kind of cognitive endpoints that we want to in the data so far. So for these reasons as well, it's very, very high risk. So keep that in mind if you do want to dive into the space. And if you don't like that kind of risk, just stick with oncology because that seems to be a much more amenable environment for investors. So to give a quick portfolio wrap up, and I know I'm late on this episode, but this is correct as of Friday the 19th. I'm sitting at around 6% for the year and all of biotech has taken a big decline. Uh, we even saw this earlier in this week, so everybody's kind of hurting. I'm not doing any sort of panic selling. I think this is just a healthy pullback, as we say. So a couple things that I wanted to mention is that I added to my Orenia position. I think that the bull case is just much stronger than the bear case. And for that reason, I took a little bit of a bigger position in hopes of a successful commercialization or an acquisition. The other company I wanted to mention is Bluebird. And Bluebird took a huge hit in the last week due to some updates and from the FDA putting another hold on their uh, drug. And I think really ex vivo lentiviral transduction is just a unviable space right now. And what I'm gonna do is hold on to the company until probably the end of the quarter where I think they have a PDUFA date and then I'm going to sell the stock. Overall, still pretty happy with the performance and we're gonna hope to uh, continue to push ahead. So with that, I'm gonna wrap it up, but I wanna thank everybody for your attention today. Let me know what you think in the comments, if there's something that I'm missing with any of these companies and hit the like or subscribe button, leave me a comment or send me a question on the Ask Me Anything in the subreddit Biotech Plays this week. So thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time.